Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast. This is Anastasia Glova, your host, and this is the episode for Friday, May 4th. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice spoke very briefly with Iranian officials today at the regional conference in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. But the conversation, according to U.S. Ambassador to Iraq Ryan Crocker, was limited to the situation in Iraq, which is the focus of the meetings in Egypt, and did not broach the nuclear question. In today's podcast, I talk with Cato Foreign Policy Analyst Justin Logan about the delicate relations between the United States and Iran at the regional conference. What does the United States want or hope to accomplish in the Sharm el-Sheikh talks? The impetus behind the Sharm el-Sheikh talks, I think, was really a belated recognition that success in Iraq was impossible without positive contribution, a significant positive contribution from Iraq's neighbors. However, unfortunately, I am rather pessimistic about any prospects for a breakthrough coming from anything structured in any way like the Sharm el-Sheikh talks. The problem, I think, is that the policy in Iraq was originally designed with the implicit goal of having a democratic domino effect in the region and toppling governments, as the Bush administration would put it, reforming the political culture of the Middle East, which boils down to toppling governments like those in Iran and Syria. So if you come to the Iranians and Syrians with the proposition that they help us, help a policy that was originally designed to have the goal of toppling their governments, if you come to them and ask them for help on that project, it seems incredibly unlikely that they would be inclined to do so. And unfortunately, I think that points to the real fundamental incoherence and lack of forethought with respect to the decision to go into Iraq in the first place. I want to focus now on Iran. Secretary Rice has decided to hold off engaging Iran in serious talks about their nuclear program during the meeting in Egypt. But do you think this is a wise move? There's something of a parlor game in Washington trying to figure out which figures inside the Iranian government are close enough to the supreme leader Ayatollah Khamenei that they have sort of the imprimatur or the approval of Khamenei. There's great desire to make sure that you're sort of talking to the right person inside of Iran. So I think there's some open question as to that. The problem, I think, at this point is that it's really unclear what is preventing us from coming to talks at this point. I'll just give one example. Last fall, there was an offer from the Iranians to try to find middle ground with respect to the Western demand that Iran suspend uranium enrichment. And the Iranians said that they want to keep running two cascades, experimental cascades of centrifuges, each of 164 centrifuges, but that they would forestall any industrial-grade enrichment. Now, from a fairly narrow focus on the Iranian nuclear program, two cascades of 164 centrifuges could spin for a decade without providing the Iranians enough fissile material for a nuclear bomb. So if you ask yourself if you look at that from, again, a fairly narrowly focused perspective on the Iranian nuclear program, you say to yourself, look, they want some ability to uh, save face. You know, why not provide that to them if it provides an entree for getting into talks? The United States turned that position down. So I think we're really engaged in this dangerous game of trying to sort of jockey for position in trying to come into talks in as favorable a position as possible. The danger with that, of course, I think, is that if you spend so much time focusing on what posture you come into talks in, there's a danger that you may focus so much on that that you never are actually able to get into talks in the first place. But if Mataki is too low on the totem pole for the United States to talk to him, what's preventing Rice from making overtures to Iranian officials that are closer to Hamenei? Well, it's unclear whether that may or may not happen at some point in the future. 
I even think it's certainly open to question whether or not Motaki is so far divorced from the center of power that it would be worthless to talk to him. But I do think that there would be questionable utility in trying to make an opening at Sharm el-Sheikh to talk about the Iranian nuclear program. I think there needs to be a more direct approach on that issue. And given what I think was bound to be extremely limited prospects for success on the Iraq question, it may not be the most useful venue to go from one diplomatic fumbling into trying to parlay that into a broader talk on the nuclear program. How likely is that Iranian nuclear program in the future? Well, the Iranian, the date Iran will require a bomb is sort of the the holy grail on this issue, and there's a whole host of estimates available. The Israelis have been warning for some time that it is a matter of months, not years. The official U.S. intelligence estimate on Iran in August of 2005 reaffirmed the U.S. intelligence community's assessment that Iran was five to ten years away from a bomb as of August 2005. One thing that is actually worth noting is the fact that there has been a consistent U.S. tendency to overstate the progress in Iran's motion towards acquiring a nuclear deterrent. The estimate as of 1991 in the U.S. intelligence community was that Iran was five to ten years away from a nuclear bomb, and we've just sort of kept that estimate and pushed it back as time has marched on. So there's a great deal of ambiguity. I certainly don't feel like I have a 100% certainty even in the U.S. intelligence estimate, and I think that any country where you haven't had an embassy in 27 years, it's incredibly difficult to gather intelligence on something as deeply hidden as the Iranian nuclear program. Now, you're very confident that, I'm going to quote something you've written before, the difficulties with military action would outweigh the downsides of acceptance and deterrence. Why are you so confident about that? Well, what I think is a really troubling chain of logic that advocates of military action use with respect to Iran. There's this sort of delay, depose, denuclearize argument, as I've termed it. And essentially what the advocates of military action argue is that what we should do, that there is essentially no way to bomb away Iran's nuclear program. What's really a possibility would be to delay the Iranian acquisition of a nuclear bomb. So if we thought, in fact, that they were three years away from getting a bomb now, perhaps military strikes could delay that by three or five or seven years. Then the advocates of military action argue that in the interim, in that interim period purchased at the expense of airstrikes, you can work to depose the sitting regime. And after the regime is deposed, what will happen is one of two things. Either the regime that takes its place is so warm and cuddly that we're not bothered by its having a nuclear capability, or alternatively that it will forswear a nuclear capability altogether. The fundamental logical problem, I think, with that proposition is that in all likelihood what bombing Iran will do is shore up the mullah's position rather than undermine their position and provide an opening for the Iranian people to overthrow them. There is in political science what's known as this sort of rally around the flag effect, wherein domestic political constituencies who otherwise greatly dislike each other rally around the flag uh, against a foreign threat. We can remember we all, Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, etc., felt quite different about each other on September 10th, 2001 than we did on September 11th, 2001, because there was this perception of a very real foreign threat. And we thought whatever our differences, we could put them aside in order to create a unified front against this external enemy. And that sort of thing happens in countries all over the world. So there's this very shaky chain of causation that I think the advocates of military action engage in that I think is just fundamentally flawed. 
But shouldn't we keep that military option open as a bargaining chip, or are you arguing that we should scrap that military option entirely? That's a really good question, and I think that there's sort of a useful thought experiment, and that is to say that if you were sitting at, at a dinner table with someone whom you're not particularly fond of, it is entirely different to observe a candlestick on the table and not mention it than it is to mention how useful such a candlestick would be for bludgeoning your dining companion. And I think that what the administration has done is the equivalent of the latter in continually bringing up the prospect of military strikes. People like Senator McCain saying the only thing worse than military action is a nuclear Iran. We have sort of backed ourselves into a corner. So I would certainly not advocate making some sort of a public claim that we will never attack Iran in order to delay its nuclear program before coming into negotiations. I think that would be a silly idea. That said, it is an entirely different proposition to go waving around the military option, to talk openly about the prospect of a military option, because what that ends up doing possibly is putting your credibility on the line should you face the prospect of an Iranian bomb. So I think given the United States' behavior over the past six or seven years, I don't think that keeping our mouths closed about the potential options that we think about for ourselves would cause anybody to think that any options, in fact, are off the table. Thank you, Justin. For those of you who caught the Republican debate last night and were dismayed at the lack of a real small government candidate for president, I hope you take a look at Cato scholar Michael Tanner's new book, Leviathan on the Right, How Big Government Conservatism Brought Down the Republican Revolution, available from the Cato Institute Bookstore at catostore.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy your Cinco de Mayo weekend. Thank you.